First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there's a lot here within these verses. We're just going to focus on verse 8 through 12 tonight. And we ended the teaching last week speaking again about husbands and wives, that everything in scripture that it speaks of the love and the dedication that we should have towards other believers, it's applicable to husbands and wives as well. So as we read this again, it continues that same idea. We'll see some things very specifically, but he starts off saying, all of you be of one mind. Be of one mind, right? And usually we're fine with a group being of one mind as long as it's our mind, right? As long as everybody's doing what we want to do, then we're okay with it. Then we're cool with it, right? Everybody wants to go eat where we want to eat. It's okay. It's fine. But Peter here, he's asking that all of us would be of one mind. Now, he's also not asking us to be of the same mind. He's not asking us or demanding uniformity, right? God, he doesn't demand uniformity from us. He's demanding unity. He's not demanding conformity, but he's demanding transformation through the Spirit and God's Word. Usually demands of uniformity or demands of conformity. It's religion and not of the Spirit, right? If you come to church and say, hey man, that's not a Calvary Chapel Miami shirt. You got to go out. You got to get a Calvary Chapel Miami shirt, right? Your haircut doesn't look right. That's not a Calvary Chapel Miami cut, right? Go outside to the car. No, we all should have spiritual cars, right? We should all have the same cars. You may be finding yourself in a cult and not necessarily in a church. That's not what God is asking of us to do. And based on your appearance, the car you drive, things like that, oftentimes we start grabbing these new spiritual thermometers that are nothing but carnal, right? Oh, this person's more spiritual or less spiritual because they look a certain way or dress a certain way or they drive this car or that car. And that's just a bunch of garbage, right? We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And here we get uh, a common theme really all throughout the New Testament is of being of one mind. But whose mind should we be of, right? Should we all just have the mind of our spouse or the mind of our kids, the mind of our pastor? Whose mind should we all be of one accord with? And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And he says, these things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So the only way we can be of this 
one mind, right, that we'd all have the same mind, is if we are in God's word. That's the only way we can all be of the same mind. Because the only way we can have that, as Paul's telling the church of Corinth, it's through spiritual means. It's by being in God's word and having God's supernatural spirit speak to us. And if we're carnal, it's going to be a bunch of foolishness. If we're spiritual, it's going to be life itself, right? And we're going to see in a little bit, not repaying someone evil for evil, that's foolishness to this world. But that's how God commands us to be. Again, God loves diversity, but he wants us to have a one-track mind. He wants us to be unified all together. We're still in 1 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 12. And Paul has this same mindset here in chapter 12, verse 12 through 14. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Again, we're the body of Christ, so we're all going to be different. And thank God that we're all different, right? Aren't you grateful that your whole body is not just one organ or just one body part, right? Your whole body was just a pinky, right? Your body's only made up of lungs and no heart or only brain and nothing else. One of the pastors was talking about Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., right? Just one big eyeball, right? And that's all you are, right? That's your whole life. That'd be terrible, right? Poor guy. But for us, the body of Christ is not supposed to just be the same body part over and over and over again. We need all these different body parts, all these different organs, but we need to have one mind, right? Because if you don't have one mind, what happens? You get schizophrenic, right? And crazy things happen. That's why we need to be in tune with the Spirit of God because if not, the body of Christ, it can get crazy because we need to have the same mindset of Christ. And again, the only way we can have the same mindset is if we're feeding our spirit and if we're feeding in the Word of God. That's the only way. If we're not feeding our spirit, if we're not feeding on the Word of God, you're not going to have the one mindset that we should have. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. We could turn there, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. And a few teachings ago, we spoke of the power of the tuning fork, right? I don't know if you remember that that Bible study, the the power of the tuning fork. That if you want to tune a bunch of instruments all together, you don't tune one guitar to the next guitar to the next guitar to the next guitar to the next guitar. Because when they all play together, it's going to sound terrible. But now if you get the same tuner, the same tuning fork over and over again with each instrument... When they all play, it's going to be in unison. There's going to be unity. It's going to sound great. It's going to sound amazing. That's the same thing we need to have in the body of Christ. And for our mindset, this is our tuning fork in a sense. This is our tuner. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read verse 1 through 8. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. Being like-minded, right? We see that once again. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Again, this is the mindset we need to have. We need to be like-minded, having the same love that Christ has. We need to be like-minded, having a love which looks out for the interests of others and not just the interests of ourselves. We need to have a love that is humble, right? Humility. That's the type of love that we have to have. And throughout tonight's teaching, we're going to see how humility and love, they go hand in hand. Humility and love. Because if you're not humble, if you're prideful, you have love. But who is it that you love more than anyone else? Yourself. So you really can't love others if you're not humble, And again, how was Christ able to love us and die for us? He was humble. Again, and that's the way we should be doing things, not for our own reputation, not to see what do I get out of this, not saying that's beneath me or below me. Do you know who I am or the things that I do? We need to have the same mind of Christ. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, a couple pages to the left there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, same idea here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, we are to be imitators of God as dear children. And what is it that we should be imitating? His love. His love and his humility willing to sacrifice himself. Humility and loving others, again, goes hand in hand here. We should be imitating the Lord, right? Have you ever seen a kid and their parent, and just kids right away just want to imitate their parents? There's some kids that their parents, they have certain uh, limps and things like that because they had a car accident or something, and yet the kid walks the same exact way as the parent, right? They're just imitators of them. Uh, my kids are just out of nowhere, right? working out at the house and then they're doing something and they just and they just imitate where'd you get that from oh i guess you got that from me right the breathing all this stuff our kids they just follow us Uh, i love gail Irwin. right he says i tried to teach all my kids how to eat right and eat with manners but they all eat like their dad (laughs) again they're imitators and we are to be imitators of god as dear children That's how we need to be. That's how we need to be living. Not imitators of this world, not imitators of the flesh, not imitators of the carnal things, but imitators of God walking in love, walking in the love of Christ, and walking in humility and sacrifice. We go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, right? After we have the same mind, what's that one-mindedness that we are to have? Next, we are to have compassion for one another. A compassion for one another. That word compassion, it's sympathizing in joy and in the sorrows of others. Sympathizing in the joy and in the sorrows of others. You can write down Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And again, in our pride, we have difficulty with this. 
We see someone else weeping and just tell them to butch up, right? So I don't get over it. We see someone else rejoicing and we're just jealous. It really is what we are, right? Why did they get it before I did? But if we have that humility, we're able to weep with those who weep. We're able to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're able to come alongside of them and encourage them in whatever state they're in. Having compassion. Having compassion. That's what we're called to do. The next thing is to love as brothers. That's where we get that word, uh, the Philadelphia, right? That Greek word. It's loving the brethren. That's what we should be doing as the body of Christ. Again, if you're saved, if you're a Christian here, if you're going to heaven, who's your father? God, right? God's your father. And now if multiple people have the same father, what does that make all of us? Brothers and sisters, right? And I know sometimes through life, you're at school and your little brother or little sister come by and you're like trying to run away from them, right? You shouldn't be doing that in the body of Christ. Within our own body, we shouldn't be saying, man, I do not want to be related to this guy, right? That's not my sister, right? They, they come by, they show up, and we just pretend like we don't even know who they are. We should have a genuine love for the body of Christ. And we need to be careful that we don't take our own experiences in life and that we put those experiences onto biblical things, right? Maybe you have terrible relationships with your brothers and sisters. Maybe your brothers always picked on you, right? They taught you many things. They taught you about noogies and swirlies and wedgies and different things like that. And you're saying, that's the love that I need to have? Right? Maybe your little brother cut all your Barbie's hairs off, right? And you have no love for him even till today, right? That's the type of love that I'm supposed to have. Got to be careful with that. Same thing with fathers, right? Some of us, we've had terrible examples of a father. Now we hear that God, he's a perfect father. Now all of a sudden, we want to push him away because we've had bad experiences. So in case we've had bad experiences, here are some biblical ideas of a brother. You can write down Proverbs 17, verse 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. Again, we should be intentional with one another. That when we know someone else in the body is hurting, hey, it's great to pray for them. It's great to throw up thoughts and prayers, brother, right? That's great. That's awesome. But to be intentional, right? To be there with them in the midst of the adversity, to cook them a meal, to spend time with them, to know a way that you can help them. That's what a true brother does for another brother. You can write down Proverbs 18, verse 24. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We mentioned that sometimes that through the body of Christ, God sort of gives us those brothers and sisters that we've always wanted. The Lord can give us those grandparents we've always wanted or the kids that we never had. And within the body of Christ, the Lord in a very natural and spiritual way can give us those blessings. You can write down 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, and it speaks of Jonathan and David. It says they made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Again, this is the love of the brethren that we should have, that we genuinely love one another. We care for one another. And you guys have that, right? You guys have that. There's some of the youth here, right? They see their friends on Wednesday, on Friday, and Sunday, and every time they're super sad that they got to go home, right? There's a genuine love here. Many of you, you only come on services, but there's also many of you that you fellowship inside of church, outside of church, multiple days of the week. 
We should have a love for one another. Two brothers that show a true biblical love, it's Peter and Andrew, right? And Andrew's the one who brings his brother Peter to meet Jesus. And then they both become disciples. And as brothers and sisters, we should be bringing one another to Christ over and over and over again. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't just be giving over to their flesh or stroking their pity party that they're having, right? Their anger. No, we should be drawing them to Christ. Finally, we have the greatest big brother out there, right? And we should be following his example in our love for one another. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Again, if you thought, yeah, I am ashamed to call certain people here at church my brothers and sisters. Again, this should be a huge dose of humility there, right? Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers or sisters. That's the type of love that we should have for one another, a brotherly love. Not just for, man, my blood, blood is thicker than water, that's it. No, for the body of Christ. The next thing there it asks of us is to be tender-hearted. That's not to eat a bunch of chicken tenders after Wednesday nights, right? That's not what it's talking about. In the King James Version, it has the word pitiful. I don't think we really like that, right? Be pitiful, right? Maybe you're thinking of Mr. T or something else as well, right? But that word, it's speaking of sympathy once again. It's the capacity for entering into or sharing the feelings of another. And again, if we're filled with pride, you're not going to care about anybody's feelings except your own. You're not going to be wondering what they are going through. You're not going to be wondering, man, what are the things that their difficulties that they're going through? That's why we need to have a heart of humility and the love of Christ dwelling inside of us that we can only have when we're in God's word and when we're filling our spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul tells them, Let all bitterness, all wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Again, it all goes back to our relationship with Jesus Christ. All goes back to our relationship with our word. If we're not constantly in God's word, if we're not constantly being reminded of all the forgiveness that we've received in Christ, then we're going to be really short with our other brothers and sisters. Then we're not going to be that kind. We're not going to be that tenderhearted. We need to have the same mind of Christ. We need to be conscious of all that he's done for us, and this will cause us to be tender-hearted. If you're constantly being reminded of all that Christ has done for you, if you're being reminded of how he's forgiven you time and time again, how he's taking care of you, how there's been food on the table, how he protected you from that car accident or from that health crisis, and if we're constantly thinking of that, it's going to allow us to be tender-hearted. Sadly, today, most people... And even Christians, they live guarded instead of being tender-hearted, right? They're guarding their hearts, not in the Proverbs type of way, but they're guarding it because they're not willing to share where they are really at. They're not willing to be hurt in front of others. They're not willing to show other people when they're genuinely happy. 
There's also other people that when they see someone else hurting, they don't know how to act or respond, right? Uh, Ella, she's, she's super cute and she's super smart, which is super dangerous, right? Uh, but she's in uh, jujitsu and the coach has different coaches work with the kids. So sometimes she works with these teenage boys and she works them, man. Right away, she's oh, I don't feel good. And she like starts crying and the boys are like, I don't know what to do, right? I just don't know what to do. And oftentimes when we see a brother or sister hurting, we're just like, I don't know what to do. I have no clue what I should be doing because we're not in God's word, because we're not in the spirit, because we're not tenderhearted. We're not putting ourselves where they're at and what they're going through and now being able to demonstrate the love of Christ in them. The other problem, again, we're talking about the dangers of pride versus humility. When we're filled with our own pride, we don't want to show any signs of weakness, right? We think we're out in the African savannah and we're, we can't show any weakness and that a lion's going to run out of nowhere and eat us alive, right? So now when someone asks us, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Everything's amazing, right? Pastor's like, hey, you want to come up front for prayer? No, how can I pray for you? You need prayer, Pastor Raz? How can I pray for you, right? We're so guarded because of our pride that we're not willing to really be open and vulnerable in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of the most Christ-like examples I believe we have in our church or in my life are those who are willing to, or when they're even not willing to, they sort of break down every time they talk about the things that God is doing in their life, right? There's certain people, every Thanksgiving breakfast, they start sharing and the waterworks are coming no matter what, right? That's being tender-hearted. Their heart is quick to be weeping because of all the blessings that God has done for them. Their heart is quick to be weeping when they hear of all the pain that someone else is going through. And instead of allowing the world to harden our hearts more and more and more, becoming more and more callous, we should be doing the opposite. We should be becoming more and more tender-hearted. Again, that's going to set us apart from the world if we're more and more tender-hearted. The next thing here is to be courteous. To be courteous, right? And even just this is going to set you apart from this world, right? It's a genuine Christian politeness, which is stamped with genuine love on one side and humility on the other. That's what being courteous is. I was talking to uh, one of the brothers at the church, and he's a small business owner. He's like, man, sometimes I'm nice to customers, and I have some new people from church working with me, and sometimes they think I'm, I'm flirting or I'm being weird and stuff like that. I said, sometimes people don't know how to deal with someone when they're just being nice just for being nice. Most people, they're being nice because they want something from you. And he goes, yeah, that's what I do. Because <laughs> he's a small business owner. He's a salesman, right? So he's trying to get people to buy his product, so he's being extra nice. But within the body of Christ, that's not what we should be doing. You shouldn't be nice or kind to someone because, oh, man, I just heard they got a big boat. I want to go fishing with them. How are you doing, brother? Right? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Right? How's your wife? What's her name again? All right, how can I be praying for you? That's not the way we should be. We should have a genuine love and humility for one another. It's the common thread throughout all this portion of Scripture, really throughout love and being Christ-like, it's being filled with love and filled with humility. Right, that word humility, what does it really mean? It's to think less about ourselves. That's it. Just be thinking less and less about yourself, less and less of what you deserve or less and less your honor, right? That's what being humble really is. It's modesty. 
It's having a limited and not overly high opinion of oneself and one's abilities. Having a limited and not overly high opinion of oneself and one's abilities. Again, this whole section can be summed up with the commandment Jesus gives us. The telltale sign that Jesus says, this is how people are going to really know that you're my disciples. Those who are learning in the dust of their master. Let's turn to John 13. And here we see this commandment, this thermometer uh, that Jesus tells us about. John 13. John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus tells us, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, that's how this sums up everything we just spoke of, right? That the way people are going to know that we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ, it's by the love we have for one another. It's not by our theology, it's not by our bank account, it's not by our looks, it's not by our biblical knowledge or our handling of the Greek and the this and the that or the third. No, it's the love that we have for one another. That that's what would mark us as a person, as a Christian. And now what's the type of love that we should have? You go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Here he's speaking of a completely foreign type of love or type of thought process here. And it's in 1 Peter 3 verse 9. He then tells us not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. That's the type of love that we should have, that when someone harms us, we don't try to harm them back. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, right? There's three types of ideas here. Uh, To return evil for good, that's just satanic, right? That's just a type of satanic mentality. Somebody gives me good, I'm going to repay them evil for it. That's just terrible mindset, satanic mindset. The human mindset is returning evil for evil or returning good for good, right? Someone's nice to us and we want to be equally as nice. Someone's evil to us, and do we want to be equally as evil? No, right? Just a little bit more. A little bit more sauce on top. That's what we want to give back to them, right? And that's just human. That's just being real, right? You see little kids running around fighting. They take something from them. They want to take it back. They hit what your kid hits one. The other one wants to smack the other one right back, right? That's just human. But now the biblical standard is that we would return good when someone gives us evil. Again, that can only happen in the Spirit and when we're in God's Word. This is the only way this could happen. And I do believe it's pretty interesting how Peter mentions this right after speaking about husbands and wives, right? How many fights we would have, how many arguments would stop in their tracks by the one second that that first first fight starts. And you just say, I'm sorry, honey. You're right, right? Talk about your mother-in-law and you say, I'm sorry. I got to do better, right? Just squashing it right away. Returning good when someone gives us evil. That's the way we should be living. We could jump to Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus basically tells us that if the only time you're giving people good things is when they give you good, it's no good. Right? That's basically what Jesus is going to tell us here in Matthew chapter 5. That if the only time we're doing good for others is when they do good for us, 
it's of no good. It's of no point, right? I always laugh when Christmas time comes around, right? Because I think everyone's been there. You weren't expecting to get a gift from someone, so you weren't about thinking about buying them anything, and then you get a gift, and all of a sudden you're like, I got to buy someone a gift, right? Or you get the other side of that, right? And you're thinking of someone, you bought them this super-duper nice gift, right? And they got you a pair of socks in return, right? And you're, uh, right? The anger that comes in, right? You show up to White Elephant or you show up to a Secret Santa, right? You got the nicest gift out there and you leave with the oven mitts, right? And you're like, man, that was a terrible plan, terrible idea. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, hear Jesus again speaking to us. We can start in verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, it doesn't matter how other people are treating you. It's on us to be kind, to be loving, to be courteous. It's not about them not coming and saying hi to us. We are the ones that are supposed to go and say hi to them, right? And have we allowed certain things to just creep into our mindset that we're instructing our family members to retaliate in certain things, right? Someone gives you evil, now you give them evil in return. Are we allowing ideologies from this world to enter into our mind, right? Think of what's going on in our world with BLM or critical race theory, right? Are we holding on to the biblical truths, or are we grabbing the truths from this world and we're saying, yeah, that's right. They did something to us, now we have to hit them back. They did something to us, now we call and we collect taxes for all the years that bad things have happened to us. Or are we keeping a biblical mindset? That we're saying, no, the true way to live, the true way to be free is to be able to forgive. To have that high standard, but to be willing to forgive. That's what is Christ-like. Again, Jesus had all the authority to destroy everyone around them, right? Told Peter, hey, I could call legions of angels if I wanted to. And yet he went through it all. Perfect, sinless, spotless, and he went through all of it. In Proverbs 15 verse 1, it tells us a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, family, are we biblical? Are we looking to right, fight fire with fire or, man... Just give that soft word. I'm sorry. You're right. What can we do here, right? How can we fix this? We are to love one another. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. One of the best ways we could do that is just praying for our enemies. People are doing mean things to you, terrible things to you. Man, just pray for them. For me, I found it's one of the best ways to sort of de-escalate the situation and cause myself to relax is, ah, let me just pray for this guy, God. This guy's out of their mind. They're a sinner. They don't know where they're going. David Guzik, he says this, We love one another, but not only for the sake of Jesus, whose body we are members of. We love one another, but not only for the sake of our brother or sister for whom Jesus died. We also love one another for our own sake. By blessing those who have wronged us, we will inherit blessing. 
If you can't love for the sake of Jesus, if you can't love for the sake of your brother, at least love for your own sake, right? That's what he tells us here at the end of this, that it is for a blessing. That if we're able to live Christ-like, you are going to inherit blessings. When people revile you, when people curse you, when people want to start that fight with you, and you're able to squash it and stop it, again, you're able to receive blessings later on. We continue verse 10. It says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. My family, do you love life, right? Do you love life? Sadly, there's a lot of people in the world today, they don't love their lives. They're sick and tired of their lives, right? Sadly, there's many Christians who don't really love their life. They're struggling. And within these next three verses, this can almost be its own teaching that if you want to live a full and happy life, follow these three verses. You're not happy with your life right now? Follow these three verses. The first thing is that you have to decide to love life. You have to be willing to wake up every morning and say, Lord, thank you for blessing me with life. Man, I love my life. I'm grateful for my life. And again, this goes back to pride and humility. When we're filled with pride, it is difficult to love your life because you think you deserve more. You look around and you say, I want more. I want this. I deserve this. I should be here. I should be there. And I'm just stuck in this terrible place. But now if you're humble, if you're in Christ and if you're in the word, then you have the whole opposite point of view. You're saying, Lord, how have you given me so much? Lord, how have you blessed me with so much? Lord, how have you, Lord, I've done everything to not deserve this, and God, yet you still bless me with all these things, right? That's the heart of humility. And that's a huge part of living a good life, of loving your life, right? He who would love life and see good days. So, hey, you want to live a full and happy life? What's the first step? Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Stop talking garbage, right? You want to live a happy life, a full life, a good life? Stop talking garbage. Stop talking about the evil that is going around in this world. Cleanse your mouth from the things of this world. Are you speaking like this world? Right, parents, are our kids speaking like this world? Do they sound just like this world? Because then they're not going to live a full life. They're not going to live a good life. And now what's the next part? And his lips from speaking deceit. So again, we should cut all of this away from us. Slander, gossip, right? People that get into gossip, it's always so interesting to me, right? Because they're talking about about somebody that's not there. But guess what happens when you're not there? Who are they going to be talking about? You, right? It's whoever's not there. So we get into these little gossip circles, these little slander circles. And when you're not there, you're the right little sacrifice in the middle of it, right? That's what's happening, But if we want to love life, if we want to see good days, we need to refrain our tongue from evil. The next thing is keep our lips from speaking deceit. We got to stop lying. We need to have our lives built on the truth. Right? You want to live a good life? Be honest. Be truthful. When someone asks you at church how you're doing, be honest with them. This week was terrible, right? 
I'm struggling. I'm trying to read my Bible. I got nothing. I haven't read my Bible in a month, right? I'm struggling with all these things. Be honest. Be able to build your life on the truth. You're going to be blessed, and other people around you are going to be able to be blessed as well. When you're lying to others, people not being able to trust you is one of the most difficult things in a relationship, right? Life is hard enough, but now not being able to truly believe, hey, what you're telling me is actual truth. Now your mind is thinking of a million other things, right? Are they even telling me the truth? Is This time are they lying? This time are they being truthful, right? Want to live a good and full life? Keep our lips, keep our mouth from evil. Keep our lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Run away from evil things, right? Run away from evil things. Want to live a full and good life? Run away. Flee from evil things. Flee from the things of this world, the music of this world, television of this world, all the garbage going on. Flee from those things. If not, your life's not going to be good and your life's not going to be full. And now it's not enough to just flee from evil, but now we must decide to do good. has to be both. We have to decide, hey, I'm going to leave these things and I'm going to constantly think and be intentional on how can I do good? How can I bless the people around me? How can I show the people around me that I care about them and love them and do things for the kingdom of God? Let him seek peace and pursue it. We have to be actively going out for peace. Is that what our flesh naturally wants? Peace, right? No, we like to fight. We love the fight, right? We love saying the big zingers, right? Put that dagger right in their heart and turn it, right? That's what we want. But we should be seeking for peace, striving for peace. Not when we're bending on God's word. Not when we're bending, again, the same thing with being under and submissive. It's not giving up on God's word. It's not watering down's word. Oh, God says to seek peace, so I'm just seeking peace here. No, you stand on God's word. You stand true on God's word. And here what Peter's doing is he's taking scripture and he's just repeating it to this church. So let's go to Psalm 34. That's where he's quoting from. Psalm 34. And again, God is so cool. The young adults, we've been going through the life of David and we just read this psalm. David is writing this psalm right after when he was acting like a crazy person in front of Abimelech so that they would let him go. He was drooling on his beard and they said, man, get this crazy guy out of here and Afterwards, David pens this psalm. Psalm 34, we'll read verse 9, we'll read verse 8. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Look at these promises, guys. Verse 11, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord 
is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, but none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Again, I encourage you when you get home, read that whole psalm, but the promise is there for us if we flee from evil and do good. If we say, Lord, I want to live a righteous life. Lord, I want to live this full and happy life. Lord, I want to allow you to be my defender. I want to allow you to be my guide. That we would truly apply this to our lives, apply this to the lives of our families. Again, parents, you're not just being a fun sucker, right? No, you want your kids to live a full and good life. And that's why you should be cutting certain things out of their lives. Because you don't want them... Seeking after evil things, not doing good things, seeking after pleasure instead of seeking after peace and the things of the Lord. And why should we want to do all these things? Finally, verse 12, back in 1 Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So just like we read, right, with the husbands, that the husbands need to be careful that if they're not treating their wives correctly, God, he's not listening to their prayers. It comes back full circle to all of us as believers, that at the end of the day, God sees everything. At the end of the day, God knows your secret windows on your tablet or device. God knows the things you're hiding, the DMs, all the secrets. God sees all of it. And as he sees it, depending if you're living that righteous life or that evil life, he's going to hear your prayers or his face is going to be against you. Right? You may be here and say, man, God hasn't answered my prayers. I've been praying this thing over and over and over again. And God's not answering my prayers. Read this set of verses. Are you living that righteous life? Are you running from evil? Are you doing good? Are you keeping your lips and your mouth from speaking evil and deceit? Because if you're not, He's literally not going to answer your prayers. That's what he's telling us here. That's the warning to us that if God is a just God and he's saying that there's blessings for people who live righteously, how can he bless the evil? How can he bless the unrighteous? He can't. If not, he'd be lying. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be righteous. But again, it's difficult for us because usually when people do evil, they get good in return right away, right? Someone steals and they did nothing to deserve it, but now they got their iPod Pros, right, or their iPad or whatever happens. But what always happens sooner or later, they get caught. They get caught, they get busted, and then it spirals out of control. We, as believers, should be playing the long game. Always, always the long game. We should always be asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how is this going to bless me? Not today. How is this not going to bless my feelings, my emotions, my flesh? But Lord, how is this going to bless my spirit? Lord, how is this going to bless my relationship with you? Lord, how is this going to bless my family? Lord, how is this going to draw my spouse and my kids more and more to you? That's the way we should be living. And if we're living that way, then God is literally listening for our prayers. He's excited. He's anticipating, man, Zach, what do you need? What do you want, right? That's the heart that the Lord has 
towards the righteous. So again, you want to live a full and good life, right? I hope, I think everybody here wants to live a full and good life. I want to at least, right? Refrain your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? We read it in Psalm 34 how God is with those who are broken and contrite. The problem oftentimes is when we're just locked into our pride, we're literally keeping God from coming and healing us and fixing us and helping us. But when we're humble enough to be broken and vulnerable in front of him, that's when he can step in and say, all right, let me do what I want to do. Let me do what's best for you. Let me heal you and make you whole and make you clean and set you off going in the right direction. But when we're locked into our pride, we're literally keeping him from being able to do what needs to be done in our lives. And when we do this, again, we inherit a blessing time after time with this evening study. It's all for our own blessing. It's all for our own benefit.